Welcome to The Spotter, a weekly podcast dedicated to the everyday challenges facing today's ministry leaders. It is necessary to stay close to someone who will challenge you to grow, do more, reach higher, and dream bigger. You should never allow yourself to be the strongest person in the room. You need a spotter. Here's your host, Jeff Wolf. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Jeff Wolf. I want to share some encouraging words with you from God's Word. You know, I was thinking the other day in meditation, in prayer, that it hurts to heal. That sounds contradictory, doesn't it? It hurts to heal. But the truth of the matter is that there is pain involved in the healing process when you've been wounded. And that pain is a result of several things that are required for dealing with your pain. The goal is to turn the wound into a scar. A wound is still bleeding. A wound still hurts. A wound is still unclean and infected and affects everyday life. But when that wound heals, it turns into a scar. And a scar doesn't hurt anymore. It just provides a reminder of how God healed you and made you whole and restored you. Of course, I'm speaking metaphorically of the wounds in your heart, the wounds in your mind, and the wounds in your emotions. I want to share a few things with you out of John 4 in just a few moments. And of course, what I'm speaking to you today comes from my heart. It comes from my personal experience with pain and woundedness. Pain is inevitable. There's nothing that you and I can do to avoid pain. It's going to happen. It's like a little boy. When my son was just a little guy, he was very rambunctious and he was very hyperactive. And uh, like any little boy, when he began to walk and run and play and be mobile and active, he would just about every day come home with bruises and scrapes and cuts and around his knees and his shins and ankles. Those things are all normal. Those of us who are parents that have raised boys know that those things are normal. It's just not avoidable for a little guy like that to come home without any bumps and bruises. It's going to happen because life brings about some inevitable pain. When a child's beginning to walk or to run or engaging in sports or just roughhousing and playing, they're learning how to be themselves and learning about uh, learning about physical activity and, and learning the lessons of life. And the pain on their, uh, the scars on their shins and knees and the bruises and the pain that comes with it, it's inevitable. And as they grow older and begin to learn life's lessons, as much as we as parents want to shield them from pain, pain is inevitable. No matter how much we shield them, we'll never be able to protect them from pain. As a father, when my children hurt, Even now, when they're grown adults, I still want to jump in and do something to calm their pain and to take away the hurt and to fix it. That's what dads do. They fix it. But that pain is inevitable. And even now, as adults, 
at 45 years old, I have come to learn that pain is inevitable. No matter how much we prepare for it, no matter what we do in a precautionary sense or a preventative sense, you cannot escape pain. It's going to happen. I'll stop right here and just say that I feel like uh, I didn't really start to know anything and be wise until I crossed the 40 mark. Of course, when you are really young in your teens and 20s, you think you know it all. And then when you become 30 and into your 40s, you you kind of realize how ignorant you really were. And that now you are beginning to learn some things because of your life experience. Pain is inevitable. There is no measure of prevention for pain that comes about in life. However, there is a cure. There is healing. There is restoration. And when you decide to embrace healing, it'll cause a little more pain before you become whole. Why is that? It's because healing requires wounds to be exposed. Things that you want to suppress, things that you have tried to block out. In order to be healed from that, you have to allow your wounds to be exposed. Secondly, the wound has to be cleaned out. Uh, when someone uh, experiences something like a motorcycle accident and gets road rash, that wound has to be cleaned out of all the dirt and the gravel and, and the debris that's embedded itself in that wound. When when someone experiences severe burns, I've heard stories of uh, the pain that is caused by the medical professionals having to scrub the dead skin off of those burns and what pain it caused. But it has to be, that infection has to be cleaned out. Once the wound is exposed, the infection has to be cleaned out. Uh, the bleeding has to be stopped. Healing requires that the bleeding be stopped. Uh, there has to be a sterile environment. In other words, whatever caused the wound has to be removed from the equation. You can't heal if the thing that caused that wound in you is still present and still harming you and still hurting you. If that situation that you are in that caused your pain, if you're not out of that situation, you're not going to heal because it keeps reopening the wound and reopening the wound and causing further pain. So you have to be in a sterile environment. You have to get out of the environment that caused the pain in order for healing to take place. And finally, healing requires a physician. And I've come to tell you today that you serve a great God who is the great physician. That he has the answer, he has the cure, he is the balm in Gilead, he is the one who is able to make you whole and restored again. Healing invokes a response. Have you ever noticed that when we start to approach the process of healing, people begin to respond? Now, I have learned in my life that there are some people who just don't want you to heal. You say, Jeff, that just really sounds harsh. Well, if you look back over your life, you would probably no doubt agree with me that there are times in your life when you needed to heal from something, but other people weren't on board with your healing process. Some people want you to continue hurting. There is something twisted about someone who 
measures their success by your failure. Someone who measures their blessing by your lack thereof. Some people just don't want you to heal because it makes them feel better about themselves. And when you are surrounded by those kinds of people and you have those kinds of relationships where people would rather you be suppressed in order that they might have a better self-esteem or they might feel more blessed or they might feel superior to you because of your pain and because of your suffering, you need to get away from those kinds of people. Those kinds of relationships do not bring about healing in your life. In fact, they'll keep you uh, wounded and, and continue to reintroduce the thing that wounds you. That's part of being in the sterile environment. You've got to get away from those kinds of people. Sometimes you don't want you to heal. You don't want you to heal. What do you mean by that? I mean that there are times in my own personal life when I was at my very lowest that I developed crutches, things that I leaned on, and and, and uh, things that I depended on. Uh, I had an excuse to continue to fail when I was wounded. I had an excuse to be bitter. I had an excuse to be angry. I had an excuse not to succeed and crawl out of that hole that I was in. And there was a time I didn't want to talk about healing. Sometimes you don't want you to heal because you know that you're going to have to give up some dependencies. You're going to have to stop being bitter. You're going to have to stop moaning and groating. You're going to have to stop complaining and embrace the healing process. I want you to know it's worth it. If you're watching or listening right now and you are at the lowest of low or you're in a season of your life where you just don't want to hear about it, that, that, that you are using that woundedness as an excuse not to succeed, an excuse not to get out of bed, an excuse not to work on yourself, an excuse not to improve yourself, an excuse not to be whom God has called you to be. I want to quicken your heart and quicken your mind today that it is worth it to embrace healing. Stop allowing your failure to be an excuse to continue failing. Stop allowing your, your desert season to be an excuse to remain in the desert. You need to heal. I want to share with you five categories of people that you will find in your life. Five categories of people that you will find in your life. I have learned this from experience, whether it be ministry, the pastorate, or my personal life. I have found that any time that I move toward healing or any time that I'm trying to move toward what God is doing in my life and I'm trying to make progress and I'm trying to reach goals and I'm trying to take it one step at a time, the people that surround me fall into five categories. I want to share those with you right now. Number one, there are spectators. Spectators. Every single one of us have people in our lives that are not necessarily in our inner circle, but they're looking on. They're watching us. They're spectators. And spectators say, their opinion is, what you're doing doesn't make sense. 
I'm going to tell you right now that there are many times that I have done something in obedience to the Lord. It didn't make any sense to me. And so I know it doesn't make sense to other people. That's what spectators say. What you're doing doesn't make sense. I'll just stand back here and watch. What you're doing isn't rational. What you're doing means nothing to me. And I don't, I don't want to be associated with it, but I'm going to stand back here and watch. I'm going to watch you fail. I'm going to watch you trip. I'm going to watch you mess up. I'm going to watch you again be uh, disappointed. And the reality is they're going to watch you be blessed. And they're going to wish that they had had more faith in the process of healing. Secondly, there are supporters. Supporters. People that, again, they're not necessarily in your circle. But they're acquaintances. They know you and love you from a distance. Uh, and they support you. They're not necessarily plugged into your life. But they support you. They want you to win. They want you to succeed. They want you to be whole and to be well. And what they say to you is, what their opinion is, what you're doing is brave and adventurous. I'm rooting for you. I'm back here. I'm on the fringe. I'm on the outer circle. Uh, I'm not necessarily directly connected to your life. I'm watching you from a distance. How many of you know that there are people on Facebook that kind of do that? They, they watch you on Facebook. They don't necessarily plug in. They don't like and comment, and they don't uh, you know, send you private messages, and they're not people that you interact with, but because of the social media age, they are watching you from a distance. They're not spectators in that they don't really care because what you're doing seems to be uh, illogical and, and it seems to be senseless. They're supporters. They want you to succeed, but they don't interact with you. They believe that what you're doing is brave and adventurous. Those are the kinds of people that think to themselves and kindly, uh, they kind of uh, admire you from a distance for what you're doing. Thirdly, there are dissenters. Dissenters. These are people that just don't have any faith in you, whether they're in your circle or they're not. Now, these are the kinds of people that can be in your inner circle that they're dissenters. What they say is what you're doing is crazy. I don't believe in what you're doing. What you're doing is just nuts. I can't believe this This is do, This is happening. I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe you're moving in this direction. I can't believe you're saying those things. I can't believe you're making those decisions. Now, keep in mind, this is based on when you're doing something going forward at the direction of the Holy Spirit and you feel in your heart that what you are doing is exactly what God wants you to do. This is not a, uh, a decision on the fly. This is not about uh, making an a, a impulsive decision or doing something just on a whim. This is obeying God, moving toward your health, wellness, your wholeness, your healing. All right? Dissenters say what you're doing is crazy. Fourthly, there are opposers. Now, you can have opposers as well on your outer circle, on the fringe, or in your inner circle. Opposers say, what you're doing must be stopped. These are the people that you have to watch for. These are the people that you have to watch for. These are the people that will work against you. These are the people that will do everything they can to stop you from accomplishing what you're trying to do. And then fifthly, there are passengers. 
passengers are definitely people who are in your inner circle, your, your daily connections. Passengers say, I'm on board with what you're doing. I'm on board with what you're doing. Those are the five categories of people that, that are around you, whether on the fringe of your inner circle. Listen to this. Spectators want to see the outcome. That's why they're called spectators. They don't want to be a part of it, but they want to see the outcome. Supporters want to benefit from the outcome. Dissenters want you to fail. Opposers will work to make you fail. Then finally, passengers want to be part of the outcome. In other words, they're on the boat with you. Those are the the five categories of people that are always around you when you make a move toward healing, when you make a move toward restoration, when you make a move toward what God has placed in your heart, even when it doesn't make any sense. When I launched back into full-time ministry and gave up a steady career, I had those five groups of people looking on. Spectators, people who, you know, they're they're watching from the fringe. Supporters, people who are around me that I don't have regular connection with, but they wanted me to succeed. Dissenters, people that say, what you're doing is crazy. This is never going to work. Opposers, people who think that I'm not worthy and that I should be stopped. And then the passengers, the people that got on board with me and said, not only am I for you, but I'm with you. I'm getting on the boat with you. And I'm going with you where you go. You have to get rid of the people, the toxic relationships that don't want you to heal. Because those people, not only will they keep you from healing, they can't go with you where you're going when you're healed and restored. Mm. I want to take you to John 4. And I want to show you something that ministered to me this week. John chapter 4 is the story of the woman at the well. The woman at the well had an infirmity. Her infirmity wasn't physical. It was spiritual, mental, emotional. She needed to be restored. She needed to be healed. And she had an encounter with Jesus in which that happened. In order to be healed, I have to peel off many layers. This is about exposing the wound. And the problem with these layers is they are, these are laser, <laughs> excuse me, the problem with these layers that th- these layers stifle and hinder our faith. First of all, there is the layer of what I believe. Think about this. In John chapter 4, Jesus comes and he is weary and he's coming through Samaria. He stops at Jacob's well. He sits down. And there is this woman who comes to the well to draw water, and Jesus says to her, Would you give me a drink? She said, I'm a Samaritan, and you're a Jew. There are cultural differences. There are things that are acceptable and things that are not acceptable, and what I know is that Jews do not associate with Gentiles. You shouldn't even be talking to me because I'm not worthy. Your people look down on my people. Your people call my people dogs. We don't even use the same dishes because we're... 
perceived to be unclean. This is her first reaction to Jesus. Her infirmity, her mental, emotional, and spiritual dilemma is buried under layers of what she believes, and it begins with this layer of her belief that she is not worthy to even have communication with Jesus. This is important to understand because there are a lot of you out there that you want to be healed. You have sought God for healing, but you haven't experienced your healing yet because you are still stuck under a layer of belief that you're not worthy of God to heal you. You're not worthy of God to do a miracle in you. You've gone too far, done something horrible, or you have strayed at such distance from God and your daily life is so far removed from what it should be. You just, you're not worthy. Or maybe you've been following God or maybe there's something in your life that you've already repented from and you want God to restore you, but you're not worthy of all of that. This woman couldn't get past this issue of saying, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, you shouldn't even be talking to me. I'm not worthy to even allow you to drink the same drink with the same cup that I'm drinking from. I'm going to tell you something. If you let your healing pass you by because you believe that you're not worthy, you'll never be healed and restored. The truth is you're not worthy and I'm not worthy but we are made worthy by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he has come to ask you like he did the man at the pool of Bethesda. Do you want to be made whole? She had to get past this layer of believing that she was not worthy. Secondly, she had to get past the layer of logic. Jesus responds to her by saying, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me to give you a drink. And logic kicks in. She's not getting it. She says, but sir, you don't have anything to draw with. (laughs) How can you draw water to give me? You don't have anything to draw with. And the well is too deep. She couldn't get past this layer of logic. Logic says it's impossible for you to give me something to drink. You don't have the tools. You don't have the ability. It doesn't make sense. There, my mind cannot figure this out. And sometimes we allow the layer of logic to stop us from being healed. Jesus, this, 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 is, this is impossible. It doesn't make any sense. There is no logic in this. You, How can you give me water? How can this come to pass? How can I be healed when I don't understand how it's going to happen? How can you possibly bring me back from where I am? How can you possibly restore the brokenness in my life? How can you possibly fix this thing that is so broken, I don't even know how it got so broken. How can you? It doesn't make sense, Jesus. That's one of the layers that you and I have to peel away because what Jesus wants to do in your life may not make sense. It doesn't. It defies logic. 
It, it defies the laws of physics. No, you can't do it. It's not logical. You and I can't do it. People can't do it, but God can. And Jesus begins to show her that you have to peel away that idea of logic, that layer of logic. Logic will stifle your faith. Getting stuck on what you perceive to be possible will stifle your faith and rob you of your healing. She had to peel away that layer. Jesus says that I can give you a drink that when you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. You can give me water that I can drink and I'll thirst again. But woman, if I gave you this drink of water that I have, you will never thirst again. She said, she's still not getting it. She's still thinking logically. She said, well, give me some of this water so that I will not have to keep coming to the well continually and drawing water. And then Jesus jars her heart and says, go get your husband and bring him here. Jesus told her to do something that forced her to face her real dilemma. That her heart was sick. That spiritually, mentally, and emotionally, she was not well. She had a need that she tried to fill. And she kept trying to fill it with a person and when that person couldn't fill it, she would go on to another person. And she continued to try to fill the void in her life by something or someone else, jumping from place to place in order to fill the void that can only be filled by living water. And this is where the woman kind of embraced her denial of the situation. She said, I don't have a husband. She had to learn to peel away the layer of denial. She had no idea what was about to come next. Have you ever said this to Jesus? Have you ever said, Lord, I don't know what you're talking about? <laughs> knowing that he knows. Knowing that he knows. She was playing dumb with Jesus, if you will. She spoke the truth, but she kind of omitted the next piece of information. She was in denial. She was in denial. You will never be healed if you don't acknowledge what's wrong in your life. You have to stop burying your head in the sand. You have to stop turning a blind eye from the infirmity that has gripped you and accept. Come to a place of acknowledgement and acceptance of what's wrong. Only then can healing and restoration come. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the one that you have now, the man that you have now is not your husband. He had to strip away the layer of denial. Some people believe that if you just ignore it, it'll go away. If you just deny it, it's not true. But that's not how it works. Suppression will make things worse. Psychologists say that when you suppress and you suppress and you suppress your feelings, your emotions, your intrusive thoughts, that eventually those things have to manifest in some way and they contribute to depression and anxiety and other 
psychological and emotional issues. You have to stop denying what's wrong and just acknowledge it. Jesus knows about it anyway and let him take care of it. Next, she said, I see that you're a prophet. Your people say that we should worship in the temple. Our fathers say we should worship in the mountains. And she begins to talk doctrine with Jesus. This is another, this is another layer that we have to get away from. We have to peel away the layer of doctrine. Sometimes we can't get healed because we have been taught something and hold to it wholeheartedly for so long that it stands in the way of our healing. Like our healing is dependent upon something that we can do aside from faith in Jesus Christ. All we can do is trust and believe in the healing power of God, that he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer, that he is the great physician, that he is the balm in Gilead, that we can call upon him and he will do what we ask if two or more of us agree. All we can do is hold on to the word of God, but doctrine has taught us falsely that there are works and things that we have to do in order to be healed, that my healing depends upon me when my healing depends upon Jesus. Are there things that I have to give him? Yes. But sometimes we get in the way of our healing with false doctrine. False doctrine. Let me explain to you in a little more detail what I mean. It's painful to say this because it's something that happened 24 years ago. And I have struggled with this. You don't, you know, you don't understand sometimes when you say something to people out of your own ignorance and then they struggle with it. People don't realize that when they just open their mouth and say things to you, that, that it can make you struggle literally all of your life with that thing. The enemy will use that as a seed, and you will struggle with it and wrestle with it. There was a woman in the church that I believed was a godly woman, that I believed knew how to pray and was sound biblically. When my first daughter, Kaylee Elizabeth, died in open-heart surgery at 10 weeks old, we prayed for her. We had fasted for her. We believed God was going to bring her through it. She had an 80% chance of survival, according to the doctors and the surgeons that performed her surgery. But God saw fit to heal her eternally and take her home, 10 weeks old. I was 21 years old. I was still learning how to be the man that God called me to be. And this woman in the church came to me and said, very sorry what happened, but I feel I have to tell you that had you had faith, had you had enough faith, your daughter would still be alive. Honey, I'm going to tell you there is not a word of Scripture that would back up what that woman said to me, and it scarred me, and I struggled with that for years because every time there would come a tragedy, those words, the enemy used that as a seed to plant in my heart that it was my fault. False doctrine. That layer of doctrine 
will keep you from being healed. Now, I'm much older and much wiser now. And I know that that seed that was planted, I know that was false doctrine. I know that God didn't take my child as punishment for some sort of lack of faith. There was no lack of faith. I believed. I had, I had, there was never any doubt in my mind that she was going to come through that surgery perfectly. There was no lack of faith there. I'm going to tell you, if you have something that someone, whether it be a, a, a preacher or just an acquaintance or a family member, some somebody has planted a, a seed of false doctrine in your head, you need to renounce it and cast it down and accept the fact that God does not do things, punish us because of a lack of faith. I'm telling you that God can heal you. And one of the barriers to that is false doctrine. Finally, she had to peel back the layer of perception. The layer of perception. She had no idea who she was talking to. She said, this is in John 4, she said, the Messiah is coming and he's going to explain it all to us. Jesus looked at her and said, I, with whom you are speaking, am he. About that the time, uh, the disciples come back from going into town to buy food, and she dropped her water pot, left it where it was. Suddenly, drawing water from the well was no longer a priority, for she had just received a drink from the living water. She ran into town and said to everyone whom she could find, come and see. Come and see a man who's told me everything that I have ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And God healed her that day, turned her into an evangelist that began to share what God had done for her. It hurts to heal, but healing will create the scar where the wound used to be and the scar won't hurt anymore. The scar will not get infected. The scar will not fester. The scar will not break open. The scar is there for a reminder. God healed this. This used to be a wound. This used to be a matter of contention in my life. This used to be something that I couldn't talk about. This used to be something that I denied and couldn't face, and it just kept getting worse and worse. This used to be something that held me back, that hindered me, stifled me from my progress and reaching my destiny. This used to be the thing that cast doubt over my life, but now it's healed. The Lord has restored it. The Lord has covered it with his power. And though you can see where it was, there's still a scar there. The scar is to remind me of the goodness and the faithfulness of God and that you can overcome that infirmity. And the scar is there so that you may look at it and I can use it as a testimony to you of God's power. It hurts to heal. But don't be afraid of the healing process. Don't be afraid to expose the wound. Don't be afraid to let the 
the washing of the water of the word, clean out the infection. Don't be afraid to get out of the environment that created the infirmity and 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 get away from the people that don't want you to heal. Don't be afraid to let the great physician take care of it. He wants to do that in your life for you. You can be restored. Don't be afraid of the pain of the healing process. For God's going to bring you to a place where he will restore you just as you were before. Hallelujah. I hope this word has encouraged you. This has been rolling around in my heart. I knew that the Lord wanted me to share it with you today. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us today. Subscribe to The Spotter on any major podcast provider. Visit us at jeffwolf.org for more information and follow Jeff Wolf on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. To receive a copy of Jeff's newest project, absolutely free, 10 Reasons Why Pastors Are in Danger, text the word RESTORED to 31996. Message and data rates may apply. Remember to join us next week. Be blessed.